and welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Stuart. And I'm Simon. And as we do every Wednesday, we talk about the reality of running property businesses. Simon owns a buy-to-lets and created Patma, a leading portfolio management software system and a source of property market insights. And Stuart runs a portfolio of co-living properties with a six-figure turnover. And quick request, if you're listening, which you must be if you're hearing me speak right now, and you've listened to more than one episode of this podcast, hopefully you like us. If so, please do just click on the review button or the rating button. Takes only a couple of seconds on your podcast player of choice. And that's all we ask for the value that we're going to give you, hopefully today, because we're going to run through an actual example of a buy-to-let scenario, because Simon and I have been talking a lot about buy to let in the current environment and just as the the kind of teaser into this is that the last time Simon and I ran through an actual example of buy to let was in July 2021 episode 86 for any of you that want to go back and listen to that it was called replacing your salary with buy to let and just for context in July 2021 Simon, do you want to tell the listeners what the Bank of England rate was at that time? This this just seems unbelievable now to say, but it was 0.1%. Zero. Zero 0.1. Yep. And back when we ran that scenario before, we were looking at a mortgage rate of 2.7%. This was a a fixed, I think, five-year rate we used. And I mean, yes, just unbelievable. Shakes my head is the uh, is the text phrase is it's unbelievable and just to back up that up since July 2021 there have been 12 one two 12 increases in the Bank of England rate so I mean in all reality July 2021 not that long ago two years in fact so not that long but 12 increases so it's fair to say a lot has changed in the world of interest rates and mortgages since that time. Yep, indeed. And in actual fact, by the time you're listening to this versus us recording it, there might be a 13th bank rate increase. So, so yes, it's yes, absolutely incredible how different the world is now versus just two years ago. Yeah. And of course, we'll have a resident mortgage broker, Simon G, to, to give us the, uh, the current details on that once that happens. Now, what we thought we'd do would be quite interesting is we'll, we'll go through what what we call a standard buy-to-let scenario. So in, in my head, at least, standard is if you're looking for a buy-to-let, you, you're going to purchase at the price you're going to buy at. And typically in the past, you'd be looking at a 75%. Obviously, some people went for lower loan-to-values. I know Simon typically does. And some people might look at higher. And that would be me. But if we think about the current numbers, so average UK house price around 288, obviously, we're just going to take average numbers based on the the data that we've got just to make this really plain and simple. But if we took an average UK price uh, at UK house price at 288,000 at 75%, that means we'd get a lending of 216,000, which would mean we have a deposit of 72,000. Now, Based on the current rates, what Simon and I did, and I think without getting this too complex, Simon and I looked at 5.5%, but I think for the sake of this 
evaluation, we'll just go straight in at the stress test rate, which is 7.5%. Simon, do you remember what we were stress testing in the last episode, in episode 86? I didn't remember. I thought it was higher than it actually was. But when we went back and checked, we were stress checking. And not, not, this is not the mortgage rate that we were actually paying. This is the stress check of 4.5%. So now we, the comparable is 7.5. So just to get through this, for the lending of 216,000, the stress test of 7.5% gives you an annual rate of 16,200 and a monthly stress payment rate of 1,350 pounds. The current, I say current, but the rate that we've got in for average UK rent, obviously this covers a lot of ground, but is £1,143. So already, at the, at, the, at the new stress rate, our 75% loan-to-value just falls down because we're already three... And, and sorry, that's just at the 7.5% rate. We then have to add the 145% uh, rent cover, and that just takes us up to £1,435. So, so already, let's just be really clear... 75% loan to value ain't going to work anymore. So I, I think that example really just falls down straight away because we know right now that it's not going to work. Yeah, I mean, it, it, apart from what, well, as you've just said, it just doesn't meet the stress checks at all in any way, shape or form. If we, if we do, just, just for curiosity's sake, run through actual sort of costs. And if we put back in the 5.5% the mortgage rate that you might actually be, be paying, it means after allowing for a, a little bit for, for voids or agent fees, repairs, etc. each month, you'd be looking at a loss every month of about £15 a month. And if you were a, a 20% taxpayer, so on the basic rate, you'd be looking at about £150 a year of loss. And that, that would be, be it, really. However, because of Section 24... If you were a 40% tax rate payer, not only would be you'd be looking at that sort of 150-ish pound actual cash loss, you'd then also have to pay the tax man an extra two and a half thousand ish. It's a bit less than that, but we'll say about two and a half thousand. And and that's just crazy. You you've made a loss and then you have to pay tax on it of two and a half thousand pounds. It's just yes, anyway. Even if you're in modern day parlance, even if your tax person, stroke tax man, was a really nice person, you wouldn't want to pay them that sort of money for the privilege of owning a property. Not, not when you've made a loss. No, I mean, yes, crazy, 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 crazy. So having ruled out this 75% loan to value mortgage, we need to look at, at what, what you might actually be able to achieve. So do you want to start us through these figures, Chet? Well, what's interesting, and we've used the PATMA tool here, PATMA, P-A-T-M-A dot co dot UK, to, to just run through this. And interestingly, PATMA automatically works out on the property purchase price what you would need as a deposit. And I have to be honest, that, that was where my heart sank immediately because according to the new calculations, you would need a deposit 
of a hundred and six. Well, let's. I'm going to round it up. One hundred and sixty-two thousand pounds. So for your two hundred and eighty-eight thousand pound purchase, you'd need a deposit of one hundred and sixty-two thousand pounds. So the borrowing is approximately forty-four percent low to value. So you would need over fifty-five percent of a property's value for a buy-to-let to get involved. And that's before you add in the stamp duty and legal fees and possibly any repair fees you might need to do or whatever else. So yeah, it's it's a very different world from two years ago. So on on that example that we've used for a UK property price of 288,000, in my head, you're needing around 200,000 pounds really just to get involved because by the time you've taken in the stamp duty, by the time you've taken in, yeah, if, if you're having to do works. I mean, if you were getting something that was ready to roll, then maybe you could get it for around 175, pounds of your hard-earned cash. Which I think is worth actually just putting into context. So we, we were originally, two years ago, looking at what you'd need to replace your salary with, with buy-to-lets. And back then, the average salary was, I think, around 30,000, maybe a bit more. But looking it up today, Stuart, you, you've said it was 38,000 at the moment. So if you've got a salary of 38,000, and we'll ignore tax for the moment, just to simplify things. But if you had a savings rate, an incredible savings rate, and you could put 50% of your, your salary away every month, it would still take you over 10 years to save up the money you needed to buy one buy-to-let investment at the moment. And, and I mean, that, that's, that's a long time. <laughs> but assuming you could... so. Simon and I are going to talk about what this means to us and how how we're currently operating. But let, let's assume that you did make this purchase. You've you found the minimum £176,000 that you needed. You've put it into a property. Average rents at the moment, based on this, is £1,140. And we think you'd get around about £400 profit yep. back out of it. So you know, even simple maths, you're getting f- around five grand a year net so based on the purchase price, I'm just going to do a very quick calculation for us. You know, that yield is the net yield is coming out at about 1.7%. Shall we then, then look at, at, the, at the tax situation, just, just to throw that in as well. And if you're a 20% taxpayer, then it, it doesn't really have much effect. And, and if your salary is 38,000, then you, you'd be in that bracket. And um, having one one buy to let, I don't think would would change that. Actually, thinking about that, maybe it would just. Anyway, let's ignore that for now. So, so you would you'd pay your your normal tax rate on it, and you'd get three thousand seven hundred ish, maybe three thousand eight hundred ish of actual money out of your your buy to let property every year. But if you're a forty percent tax rate payer, because the the property has pushed you into that, or because you're you're actually starting on a higher salary or whatever. Then, then you only actually get to keep one thousand five hundred ish pounds of your nearly five thousand pounds a year profit. So the, the tax man is going to take a big chunk out of this, and I mean that works out at only just over a hundred pounds a month that you you actually get to keep from your, your rental property. And of course, these these figures, these tax figures, are assuming that you're buying your your buy to let in in personal names, and it's quite possible that that's not the right thing to do, especially at the moment in the current world, but, but we're just using that as sort of the, the, the baseline 
approach to consider. Yeah, we, we, we may well uh, delve into the comparisons of that uh, versus limited companies at, at some point. Yeah, it's important to say that both Simon and myself invest in limited companies. And obviously, anything we say doesn't constitute any advice whatsoever. Speak to your legal professional, yada, yada, yada. But we do buy limited companies. And it is something that we will look at in, in possibly a future episode of, of how this stacks up just to, to see how that works. And, and it's something we've done before. But really, Simon, it's thinking about in this new world, given the amount of capital required, even for so there'll be some people thinking, well, 288,000, I can get properties for a lot less than that. So that's clearly not so bad. There'll be people like yourself thinking, if only I could get a property for 288,000, that would be happy days. So what does this lead you to thinking about in your own investing business and how how it will change, if anything, what you do? I'm, I'm not sure it really changes what I do per se. Because my, my strategy has always been a very long-term strategy. I'm effectively building uh, a pension. I'm building assets and revenue-generating assets for, for later in life. Uh, and I am, I am using them a little bit at the moment to, to, to provide for, for current life. But the, but the ultimate game is for, for later life and to have them there for that. So, so I don't think it changes that very much in terms of the, the strategy and the approach. But what it is doing and has already done is slow things down because you now need more capital for each purchase and and of course if you don't have that capital or to build that capital takes longer so so it forces slowing things down and you you can mitigate that a bit by looking at limited company purchases rather than personal name purchases because then the the mortgage treatment and the stress testing and things gets gets a little bit better but, but yeah, ultimately, you now need a lot more capital in order to actually make a purchase. Something that we, we sort of haven't factored into this yet is, is capital growth. And do you think that the capital growth on this, this kind of property, this kind of investment, simple buy-to-let properties, is enough to counter the difficulty that it, it now takes to, to sort of actually get into it and, and that, that extra capital and that extra or sorry, the, the, the not extra, the, the less in terms of ongoing revenue? My initial response to that is it always depends. It depends on the circumstance of whoever's buying. Because if you've got inordinate amounts of capital that you need to put somewhere, and some people do, some people are very fortunate that have, and I, I know a few of these people that have hundreds of thousands of pounds that, they don't want to leave sitting in a bank account. They've got a stocks and shares portfolio, et cetera, et cetera. And therefore, would this put them off? I don't think so, because if it's like you and it's a long-term strategy, you know, I worked out a, a net yield of 1.7%. And, you know, you know, over the course of time, I, I would imagine that, um, you know, the capital appreciation will, will more than support that, that rate as in and and give you give people a better growth for those of us that are in earlier days of investing obviously we want quicker growth and therefore for me personally it already you know so for me obviously I'm, I'm more of an HMO investor looking at other alternatives bigger alternatives so I'm already thinking about 
and, and I was before actually we done this analysis, but this only kind of supports what I want to do, which is, okay, I'm kind of not going to look at buy to let anymore unless I think I've come full circle around the clock and I've got some capital that I just want to put somewhere and not really think about, if that makes sense. Yeah. So so I think buy to let could well be a, a reasonable sort of wealth strategy as in not wealth building but it may, it may well be in the long term but more a, a wealth parking strategy and mm. um, for, for keeping that money safe and probably not losing too much in the fullness of time but coming back to sort of where we started with this do you think buy to let is a a working sensible strategy at the moment for someone who is is trying to replace their salary through property i i think based on these numbers it would be really, really hard to replace one salary. However, I do know that there's areas in the country, Northwest, for example, and uh, certain areas where you could get a property for in the region of 50 to 100K, you know, and even with a higher loan to value rate, uh, sorry, a lower loan to value rate, that that, that that may still be a viable option. And I'm pretty sure it is. And I'm pretty sure there are strategies out there. So I think, I think Bartolet, can still work for the majority of us certainly in most of the uk i don't think it is i think we and i think this is why a lot of people have started looking at alternative strategies so for example a great example in my own portfolio is the studio flat i've mentioned many times before that now works much better as a serviced accommodation than it ever could as a buy to let now as a buy to let i would say it, it would probably just about wash its face now, meaning that we may get a couple of quid at, at the end of it. But again, that is in a personal name. And by the time the tax has come off that, do you know what? It's it's not making us any money. But again, we're holding it as a long term, not necessarily pension, but we're thinking more about the kids and something about that the, the kids could have as, as something future in life. And, you know, I've got twin girls that are even talking about staying in this little studio flat together when they're older at university. So, you know, th- there are those elements. But as a as an investment, it works much better as service accommodation. So I understand now why people are looking at routes like serviced accommodation, much more. Obviously, the revenues are higher, but the input, therefore, is also higher. HMO as a higher cash generating option. And then where do we go from that? Then you start looking at commercial and, you know, they're the things that we're kind of thinking about at the moment, which is how do we look at better, you know, income returning investments? But that's just where we currently are. And, and as as we talk about often, you know, this this hopefully will change again. We're not expecting the interest rates to, to change anytime soon, but at some stage they will change. Yeah. So I, I mean, without going into the, the alternative strategies, as you mentioned, if we're sticking with considering buy to let, I think even in cheaper areas of the country, although that means it's more achievable to get into buy to let because the, the deposits are smaller and, and you don't have to save up quite so much, etc. Because interest rates are now so high, you're still going to be looking at really small profit margins. So if you were trying to replace your salary, you, you would still need a lot of these properties even in a cheaper area, that still adds up to needing a lot of capital. And hence, we, we, we talked about it before, that you would, you'd buy a property and then the income from that would help you save and then you'd, you'd be able to compound that into the next property you purchase and so on and build up a, a portfolio. But 
trying to do that now would just take so much longer. You'd need to save for so much longer. And the compounding effect is much smaller because the revenue, the cash that you can take out of each property is smaller. So I, I think the conclusion is for, for me that in some areas of the country, buy to let is, is, is broken as a salary replacement process. It, it only works as a, a wealth storage approach or strategy now. And there may be some small areas where you could still get into buy to let as a sort of approach to making money and an actual revenue. But it is still significantly harder than it was just two years ago. Yeah, I completely agree. And as you said, in conclusion, and this is funnily enough, this is this is basically my route because I bought a, a cheaper property and the rent was £500 a month, gross rent, and that was never going to change. Essentially, you know, the, the take home from that, if you like, was about £200. And I, I worked out very quickly that to, to, to rinse and repeat that model, I'd have to get another 14 properties to even get close to where I wanted to be on a, on a lower salary. So that's where we got to and what pushed us you know, into looking at multi-let stroke HMO. The positive thing that I'll wrap up this podcast episode on is just that for me, things when things are difficult, yes, it means it's difficult for us as investors. But what it also means is it's, it, it does prevent other people from entering the market. So if you're already in the market and you're looking at things, I think it just means we've got to get a little bit more creative about what we do. Because when it gets tough, you know, we just need to get a bit more focused on how we operate our own property businesses. And, and for me, that's a good thing. It, I don't necessarily enjoy it, but it does mean that the competition potentially lowers a little bit and means, yeah, therefore there might be other opportunities in the market, people selling off properties and so on. But that's me trying to, to wrap up the episode, the episode on a positive spin. And if this episode has brought you some value, please do leave us a rating or review. It really helps us just to spread the message of business or property. We're trying to get some you know, value out into the world for free as always and other than that we'll see you on next week's episode